Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Sophie Lloyd and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the House Culture podcast hosted by me, the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. I hope all of you out there are managing to stay safe and sane. Hopefully us at House Culture can deliver some of the goodness from the club into your lockdown life at home. This second season of podcast has been our biggest yet, featuring interviews with legends such as Fatboy Slim and Tall Paul, as well as the Ibethan icon and creative director at Pike's Hotel, Dawn Hindle. However, if those are the only ones that you've heard so far, why not start flicking through season one where you'll find episodes featuring the likes of Terry Farley, Greg Wilson, Andy Manston and Sally Rogers from A Man Called Adam. And if you're new to us at House Culture and want to know who we are and what we stand for, we are a collective of house music fans who have come together through our mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Instagram is our home at houseculturenet, so come and get up close and personal with us and like-minded individuals with no social distancing allowed. Let's get going with this next episode, shall we? This time around, we speak to a DJ who specialises in a house music sound that puts a smile on your face, a spring in your step and a stomp in your feet. Something we all need right now, I think. It's Sophie Lloyd. In this chat, she tells us what her gateway drug for the scene was. Pirate radio stations, which I was completely addicted to from the age of about 14. I had about 15 or 20 marked out on my dial at the, at the time. And yeah, I used to just flick between the stations and record tapes from them. Her unique entry system into the Brighton parties she frequented back in the 90s. And they used to throw the Big Beat Boutique parties and I can remember climbing through the window because they used to get so busy, like complete capacity. <laughs> I can remember being desperate and to go and hang out and climbing through the window. Her reasons for getting behind the decks and becoming a professional DJ. It was like, oh yeah, I know that track and I really want to play that and I really want to make people dance. I really want to see people dancing. You know, if you can't be a doctor and save lives, then you might as well make people smile on the dance floor. And what it feels like to get your track signed to one of the most respected labels in house music. Yeah, I'd I'd quite like to sign your record to Classic if that's okay. And I was like, oh my God. And there's me trying to keep it really cool <laughs> on the other end of the phone while secretly like jumping up and down with joy. As you'll hear, whether she's playing in the toilets at Glitterbox or a main stage at a Croatian festival, Sophie always brings the party. I hope you enjoy this one. This is Sophie Lloyd. House Culture Hi Sophie, um, thanks for inviting us into your home for the House Culture Podcast. 
it's really appreciated thank you for having me <laughs> you're welcome um it, you're well known for playing sets featuring the happiest of house music at parties like Glitterbox, festivals like Lovebox. You're also an artist in your own right, having released tracks on paper recordings and classic. However, we always like to start at the beginning. How did you first discover the music that you loved? Probably pirate radio stations, which I was completely addicted to from the age of about 14. Being kind of a teenager, going up to your bedroom and sitting in, in your bedroom and not having... I lived in the countryside so in the middle of nowhere. So I didn't have like nightclubs and and like you know naughty gangs that you sang out with really so um yeah but I discovered pirate radio stations I don't know how obviously and was just completely hooked on this music that I hadn't heard before because I used to listen to normal radio before that and make you know cassette mixtapes and things (laughs) so I guess that kind of paved the way to what I'm doing now but I just didn't realize it at the time yeah and what uh, what so what kind of year was that that you discovered and what stations were they that you discovered um so there was cool fm trance fm oh my god what were they all called girls fm but girls fm was a bit later yeah sorry the dishwasher's making a noise in the background (laughs) um yeah oh my god i had i had about 15 or 20 marked out on my dial at the at the time and yeah i used to just flick flick between the stations and record tapes from them my biggest regret is chucking them in a skip (laughs) afterwards like a few years back when I was having a massive tidy up I was like no what did I just do well it's so difficult when you get to mm. find those tapes now you've got nothing to play them on I find yeah, um, I've still got a cassette player really? but at my parents house not here mm. um so yeah sorry the original question was uh how did I find it yeah, into, yeah. It, it get into that kind of music I guess yeah through through pirate radio stations and just I listened to kiss when it first um, became legal and um, was hooked. So there was Steve Jackson's house that Jack built show. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. I used to love that. And then it was it Colin Colin Dale and Colin Favor. Yeah, yeah. They had the outer. Who was it? Colin Favor had the Outer Limits show, didn't he? Yes. Which I loved as well. So that was like early techno. Yeah. I guess. And yeah, Steve Jackson's one was more house. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. On those pirate stations, what was it about them that made you kind of think, this is a scene that I want to get into? Was it just something you'd never heard before? I guess it was like, it was music that really excited me because I hadn't heard it. Yeah, it wasn't like the music that was being played on the normal radio, yeah. really. So it was just, I mean, there were, actually the 80s music was really good, though, having said that. You know, I'm just trying to think of like... 80s tracks to give you an example of now but I can remember you know like having like making tapes with things like new shoes I can't wait yeah, and, yeah. you know things like those it, it was decent pop music wasn't it yeah. in the 80s anyway it's yeah. not like the crap that's <laughs> yeah, now on Radio 1 which is like <gasps> but then that's probably a generational thing yeah, yeah totally but yeah it was just it was just different and um the thought of going to a rave when I was 14 I was like whoa yeah you know but that's when all the things you know the m25 raves going on obviously i was way too young to even go near a nightclub let alone go to a rave but i do remember going to my first rave which was in like a cow barn in somewhere like crowborough or tunbridge wells or something and what was that were you like these are my people this is my home and my church (laughs) i was like this is amazing even though actually that one wasn't very cool it was just like a few people standing around listening to some really dodgy dodgy mixing but I think a lot of them were um and then I went to Brighton University yeah um actually well no before I went to Brighton University I actually uh, did a foundation course in Wimbledon Art College and um we used to go to Club UK a lot and the Satellite Club in Vauxhall yeah and that was great so nothing too illegally well there were a few parties actually that um I was so I had a boyfriend who lived with uh, a guy who is an engineer for he used to work on the left field oh right album. yeah a guy called will who yeah. um really sadly passed away last year but he he was the kind of entrance to a lot of the kind of parties that we used to go to and actually still people i know now like um, barry ashworth from the dub pistols and things. yeah um, and they used to have parties on a uh, like a canal boat thing yeah, I can't remember, like, hazy memories. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, these are all when I was, like, you know, kind of 16, 17 years old, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, and so when you went to university in Brighton, 
Um, what was the scene like there when you arrived? So what kind of year was that? I think it was about 96. Okay. Yeah, 96. Yeah. Um, so was that on the kind of cusp of like the the Big Beat Boutique kind of exactly. skin records so, kind of yeah. era? Yeah. So, so Big Beat Boutique started in the old Concord, yeah. which was opposite Brighton Pier. Yeah. It's now now the new Concord is all the way down Marine Parade, but yeah. um, it used to be in a porter cabin, and they used to throw the big beat boutique parties. And I can remember climbing through the window because they used to get so busy, like complete capacity. <laughs> I can remember being desperate um, to go and go and go and hang out and climbing through the window on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they were good. Yeah, good times. I ended up working for Southern Fried Records, but quite a few years later, actually, after um, graduating from Brighton. But yeah, the Brighton Brighton was really, really good fun. Um, and there were lots and lots of raves on uh, the beach in Ovingdean, under the cliffs there, um, with positive sound system. And uh, I used to work for a club called Stomper Funk, um, doing The Door, and I used to go out with one of the DJs who was the resident DJ's guy called Serge. Yeah. Um, they used to put on a weekly club night, which was brilliant um, house, house club night. They used to have people like Lottie and Derek Carter, DJ Heather, Luke Solomon, I'm just trying to think, Ian Pooley. So, yeah, all sorts of amazing house yeah. people. Yeah. So that was a kind of a good grounding in, in house music as well. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was great. Brighton was fun. Yeah. I didn't do very well in my degree because... <laughs> <laughs> too much fun. <laughs> Way too much fun. Like parties on Ditching Beacon and Ovingdean and God knows where, like in the middle of nowhere every single week. Yeah. You know, it was party central. But then considering what you're kind of doing now, I suppose that was the, your yeah, degree that was in some education. sense. that yeah, was my education. That was my degree, yeah. That's absolutely. how you justify it. <laughs> Completely justified. And um, so, yeah, it was around that time that I kind of got into DJing. I worked in a pub and saved up for some decks. So what was the, what was, was it just seeing these guys? Was that the inspiration? That... I, I mean, I think I knew that I wanted to DJ just because, just not, I didn't want to be a DJ because of like the, you know, like um, I didn't want to be like the person who was on the stage, like yeah. with the adulation. It wasn't that. It was the fact that it was like, oh, yeah, I know that track and I really want to play that. And I really want to make people dance. I really want to see people dancing. Yeah. You know, if you can't be a doctor and save lives, then you might as well make people smile on the dance floor. So it's just that kind of thing. Um and, you know, that was the thing that I was just like, oh, I want to be able to make people have their hands in the air. And so I just trying to think I've completely lost the thread of thought. Oh, yeah. So I saved up for some decks and got them. And I used to watch friends at after parties the whole time. Yeah. And just go, can I have a go? Can I have a go? Can I have a go? Be that really annoying person. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, had started obviously buying my own music, but at the same at the time, because I was a student and I was really skinned, and I didn't have enough money to buy records which were like you know eight to ten pounds. Yeah. You know, like you don't have that kind of access to spare money as a student. So there used to be the most incredible boot fair in Brighton uh, Station car park every Sunday, and obviously I'd be out in in a club until silly o'clock in the morning so I'd go straight from there I'd either get some sleep or I'd just go there with no sleep and rummage for records and there would always be mates there also rummaging for records so it was kind of around that bearing in mind that was about 1998 Mm. around about from around about that time yeah 798 and that's where I got loads of my disco collection. Yeah, I was going to ask what were you rummaging for? Specifically? Yeah, so it was it, it was it was definitely an education in the fact that I couldn't afford house records, but I was finding disco records and that the house producers had used samples from. So it was actually a really good education without realizing it. Yeah, and yeah, I take it was it was it was very much of a lucky dip as well. I didn't know what I was buying, but I was buying like old Sal Soul and Arista Disco and TK Disco records, you know, all all the kind of 
you know the proper labels um but and i just was buying them because they were on those kind of labels yeah um and not really knowing necessarily much about the artists then at all yeah i Um, love those moments where you're listening to something like from that era mm. and then the sample just pop up mm. like like a, like sun coming through the clouds or something yeah. and like completely lightning on your brain you're like oh, holy yeah. shit that's that that's, that's from that, that. Yeah, yeah exactly and you suddenly realize where daft punk got all their samples <laughs> from you're like oh and uh, actually at that time it was that it was very like french house was a really big thing um, so it was like Daft Punk and those the you know Roulette and Crydemore records kind of and the Alan Brack's yeah um, intro yeah, ah, yeah. Ah, oh, you it. know and then found the record that was you know used that sample and then suddenly when you play that in a yeah. club or to someone else yeah. everyone thinks you're the you're the coolest crate digger <laughs> yeah exactly <out> there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was quite it was quite interesting so anyway so that was. Um, yeah, so I started buying records from there and occasionally going into real record shops as well, but being very intimidated yeah. because I was a girl and it was always very bloke centric and you'd always get looked at if you're a girl, like, what are you kind of doing in here? Yeah. I can remember going and, in fact, this is how I became friends with a lot of the kind of Brighton crew because I went into a record shop in Brighton, which I can't remember what it was called now, but... um there was a guy called Dave who used to work there and he was part of the Stomper Funk and he used to, um, the Stomper Funk crew and he used to also play for Innerfield a lot. And um, I can remember going into the shop and just going, have you got a record? And it goes, I heard it on the weekend and it goes, and I sang it to him, an absolute tit. And he was just like, I think I know what you mean. Is it this? He puts it on and it's Jeff Mills, the bells. Oh, no way, yeah. You know, the cat yeah. mill droopy. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so a friendship was forged. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that kind of opened a lot of kind of Brighton doors. So, I mean, for, for you during that kind of period where you're buying vinyl, you're going out clubbing, is it just Brighton is the scene? And that I'm thinking of that era. There were so many mm. different clubs going on around the country. Were you kind of traveling around and going to other places as well? Or was it just purely uh, your scene was on the South Coast? It was Brighton and London mainly, to yeah. be honest. Um, it was definitely Brighton-centric for about five years, but we'd kind of go up for the occasional kind of big event in London. I'm just trying to think what what kind of things we used to go to now. My brain has completely gone because there was Club UK and all that kind of lot and stuff at Heaven. Yeah. Yeah, I feel really lucky that I managed to go to a few things. I mean, you know, there were were certain things that you think, God, I wish I'd gone to that. Like, you know, things like the Castle Morton. I mean, that looks incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know... Yeah, that's that was a long time ago yeah, now, wasn't yeah. it? um and it's interesting sometimes you talk to people um we did a podcast interview with terry farley mm. and he was like yeah sometimes when people look back they only take the good bits and the mm. good moments and when they write the books they only talk about the good parties he was like back in those days i went to plenty of parties where the music was shit the sound system was shit there were no drugs mm. they were, like everyone was uh, like getting agitated you know it's like there's so many nights like that but people mm. don't remember them and in fact um terry farley's uh lot they did a boys own party at uh near one of the in East Grinstead, which is where my parents used to live near by. Yeah. Um, and that was when I was, well, um, much, much, much younger. So I wouldn't have been able to go but because yeah. I was only probably about 14 then. But yeah, I mean, that sounded, that was a legendary party. Apparently. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, so Brighton at that point, you're buying vinyl. Are you banging on doors trying to get gigs or what's the kind of yeah I was kind of yeah so what I was trying to do then well so I was buying vinyl and at the time I was going out with Serge who um, was a resident at Stomper Funk and so I was just like oh I really want to you know start DJing and he he was just kind of quite encouraging about but he didn't have decks either he learned he learned on the job okay but I saved up and got my decks and was practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and anyway with disco that's how I learned to mix because I didn't have any house records Mm -hmm. so learning with disco records was obviously even more difficult yeah and making my life a lot more difficult but hey 
I did it. And um, and I used to play, like, I used to beg people who I knew who did club nights. I would be like, can I do the back room, like the chill out room or, you know, whatever, like to try and do it. So I think the first um, things I did, they, there were these nights called Parallel Confusion in Brighton, which they were with Stomper Funk and oh, a breakbeat night, which Crafty Cuts had. It'll come to yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the amount of, you, as soon as you put these things in front of either people it's just yeah yeah exactly yeah. your brain goes with the microphone yeah. that's gonna really annoy me all day now but yeah parallel confusion and so i used to play in the back room and uh serge and i used to play back disco records back to back and sometimes we would do it with um matt edwards as well who mm. is now obviously radio slave yeah um because serge and matt were doing they started radio slave together then back in those days and paul harris as well dirty vegas yeah like so it's long kind of <laughs> friendships forged yeah. back from a long time ago really yeah but yeah guessing yeah having some real fun playing disco records in back rooms and and i kind of it kind of took off from there really and then when i when i graduated and came to London I kind of I didn't do any DJing for a while I just kind of do it as a hobby well I mean it was still a hobby then I never got paid yeah um but then you know people would say oh it's my birthday or blah 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 can you play etc as you you know that happens to with every DJ and then I gradually ended up going into corporate events I think the first corporate thing I did was for Guinness it was a party that Guinness were throwing and, yeah. and I had to play records there and and it just everything it just snowballed really and then I was doing stuff for Selfridges and like loads of fashion brands and yeah. booze brands and yeah I mean it was I was really lucky I had a really good long run of it actually for about 10 years yeah and I was you know I, I was kind of working in various different jobs office jobs that I'd get made redundant or fired because <laughs> <laughs> I was useless working in an office absolutely useless um but yeah and then and then worked in a clothes shop and luckily I had a lovely flexible boss who would just be like okay Sophie you can just don't have to work tomorrow because you're DJing until like three in the morning or whatever amazing or like you know she was really flexible and she'd be like last minute okay you can go and take this job so that was really good and then it all just kind of took off from there and it's always been kind of the disco sound that you've enjoyed to play yeah I think it's because because it ended up you know obviously because of that beginning bit of like not being able to afford house music um and playing disco but also having just just what i could get my hands on of, of music but it's just i don't know it's i like all sorts of you know all different types of music as well so it's just but i think yeah the disco sound yeah i suppose happen. like your entry into becoming a dj was wanting to make people happy and it's got mm. that real kind of happiness factor to it yeah. and i mean the tracks that you've produced we can kind of talk about mm. in a moment um but in terms of actually making your own music was it something that you always um, wanted to do not really it was just i you know people there's obviously the disco edit scene and um and i thought oh i'd like you know i think the disco edits became you know the certain tracks that i would love that i thought oh i can't mix this in yeah i was gonna say how did you feel about that when that whole scene kind of started up was it like this is a great moment because i can play all this stuff or was it like i'm gonna get all these people playing this music that only i can mix no 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 it was great because it was like oh that's because there's so many tracks that you just like oh i can't mix that or you just it you end up doing a massive train wreck mix yeah um so yeah it was it was really good to be able to have that and then it just exploded and now it's just kind of piling through you know going through juno house um not yeah the juno disco chart is just yeah. like wow yeah it's just edit after edit of yeah. the same track yeah the same track and the same track and it's yeah. just like how many times can you use it at least a holiday i mean and so, but sometimes okay. it's that those things are kind of good because you can have mm. four different tempo versions of the same track yeah and so obviously yeah the disco edit scene kind of blew up mm. it's happening was that the moment you were like actually on a start creating something yeah Yeah. exactly so I I kind of did a few I was encouraged by a friend of mine called Jags Kuna who's a very well-known music producer yeah um works with Primal Scream and you know like loads of indie bands 
Um, and he was just like, you should get in the studio. And I was like, really? But I'm not like a real, I'm not like, like a real DJ. Like I just do like warm up slots. I'm not, I've never been a headline DJ. I've never, that's how I felt. It was like, yeah. I, you know, I haven't got any. And also I was just like, but I don't play any instruments. And so why, what would I know about music production? And then I realised, I mean, now realise that actually loads of DJs have no musical kind of knowledge, really. And, every, you know, there's the ghost production thing. So, yeah, that was an eye-opener. But, um, no, I work with um, a guy called Darren, who, Darren Morris, who's in St. Leonard's and... Uh, Jags hooked me up with him and said you should you should work together he you know he knows about disco sounds he's very much your kind of sound yeah and Darren and I hit it off immediately um and we that was about probably about 11 12 years ago okay so yeah I mean I, you know doing loads of stuff in the studio and there's I, I've got so much stuff that I've never <laughs> you know it just remained on my computer yeah and I've never put it out or and and kind of experimented with edits so it's only in the last kind of I'd say six or seven years, really, that I kind of started putting stuff out and had the confidence to do it as well. Yeah. So you were, so you kind of played around with edits first, and then yeah, because I was just like, oh, I don't know, like how do how can I make my own music? And I didn't want to, I didn't want to use samples. I didn't want to be too sample based, you know, yeah. because otherwise it's just I, I wanted to make music I think that's how calling out came about really because I had been doing so much stuff in the studio which was kind of trying to be something that was like how do I explain this um so I was working with Darren doing edits and then I worked with my friend Tom as well at the same time he just lost his best friend uh really tragically and he was Tom is the husband of one of my best friends and she said, oh, it would be really good to go into the studio with Tom and kind of get him out of his kind of, you know, mm. sadness of losing his best friend, you know, just to, you know, why don't you make some music together? Um, so we started doing lots of kind of housey stuff. And we ended up working with um, a guy called Zebra Cats. He's a rapper from New York. So we did that and I did that under a pseudonym. Yeah. which was Ripley and that was before I had my daughter so um, that was kind of a foray into house but it was very much a, a sound or a, that kind of stuff was very different to the thing you know the sound that I'm making now which is more disco yeah. um, and that was just because it was just like oh well you know making music so that it would so that it was along a, a genre that would sell or that right know, yeah do you know what I mean like trying to be cool and yeah you know whereas it and so it didn't feel as natural whereas calling out when we did calling out in the studio that kind of came naturally I was just like you know what I've just had my daughter I was just going back into the studio and it was just like am I going to stop DJing altogether and just be a mum and go on you know a completely different journey yeah or I'll just do like one last thing of fun I'm gonna have some fun in the studio (laughs) and um and I was listening to gospel music, loads of gospel music at the time. And I was like, oh my God, there's some of this that sounds incredible to be, you know, to be sampled. And it's got mm. so much energy and joy mm-hmm. in it. And, and you know, I mean, all house music is comes from gospel music yeah. anyway. And I was just like, you know, kind of joining the dots, really. And I found two, two acapellas and Calling Out was born. I mean, it's such an amazing track. It's so uplifting. So putting that together, I mean, even now there seems to be a whole genre almost of something that could be called like gospel house. Mm. There's like quite a lot of tracks kind of going down that route. Um, Do you feel like you own it and invented it? (laughs) Oh my God, no, no, no. I mean, you know, gospel house has been around for a long, long time. Yeah. And once that got signed up to classic, how was that feeling? Was it like, okay, this is suddenly (laughs) snowballing and that one last time fun in the studio was worth it? Yeah. I was like, what? What? Like classic. I used to go to the classic parties all the time. Yeah. You know, like Derek Carter, who was like, you know, started with Luke, one of my favourite DJs of all time. And and you just, to, to for Luke to go, yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to sign your record to classic if that's okay. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and there's me trying to keep it really cool <laughs> on the other end of the phone while secretly like jumping up and down with joy. Yeah. 
So that was like, okay, that one last time in the studio was totally worth it. Absolutely banging. It's got a laundry list of great names who have done remixes for it. Even Danny Crivet. Oh my God. Did a remix of that. How, how, How did that? Just talk oh, to me about that. <laughs> Danny Crivet doing a remix. I was so um, I can't remember if it was Luke or Simon uh, Dunmore or Luke Solomon. Um, one of them went to New York, and I can't remember which one. I think it was Simon actually to go for some meetings, and ended up at Danny Crivet's club night, uh, the Seven One Eight sessions, and took a video. He goes, "Oh, by the way, here's Danny playing your record," and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like. <laughs> wow yeah like of all the people of all the disco people who i would have loved to have had play my record and just kind of acknowledge it it was danny crivet so i was just like literally like in in floods of tears when i got the i was just like oh and bay was tiny she was like mommy why are you crying like uh mommy's crying with happy tears bay it's okay um so yeah, that was quite amazing. I, I, you know, it completely took my breath away. Um, and then Luke followed it up by saying, "Yeah, I thought he, he he's quite up for doing an edit of it if 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 that would be okay." And I was just like, "Oh my god, yeah, play it cool." <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. I don't, didn't, I don't I don't think I did play it cool then. I think I was just like, "Oh my god!" Yeah! <laughs> um, so yeah, and he did. He came back with that incredible edit, mm. and that's actually the one that I play. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's such a good edit. Yeah, ten minutes of it. It's great. Thanks, Danny. Wow. Yeah, wow. it was so amazing. And obviously, floor plan doing an edit, mm-hmm. uh, doing two remixes, not just one, but two remixes. It's yeah. just like whoa, that was amazing as well because I was just you know I'd played their stuff. Yeah. In DJ sets before anyway and having you know someone of that caliber do you know doing a remix you're like you know they're the originators yeah so and are you finding that friends of yours are hearing your track so dj play it and kind of sharing it with you and being like i've heard this here or Um, are you hearing it in random places around that you're going or uh, or who's played it that you've been somewhere and been like uh, do you know what it was really it's really lovely actually because i would be getting messages from friends or like video messages, like, oh yeah, I'm here and so-and-so and such-and-such is playing your track. Like, I'm at Love International and Midlands playing Calling Out. Yeah. Or, like, so so many different videos of people people playing it. Um, there was an amazing video of, oh my God, I can't remember if it was actually Reva Star playing it or someone playing the Reva Star mix of it somewhere in Croatia, but it wasn't the Defected Festival, I can't remember. And it's like this huge, huge crowd and they're all going completely wild. Or there was... I think it was Session Victim last New Year's playing it on, I think it was a New Year's Day party. Yeah. And the lights had gone out, up and it was just like, wow, everyone was singing along to it. And I was just like, ha, ha, this is so mad. This is so mad. Like, it's, it's a bit surreal. Yeah. I'm sure it must be for everyone who's ever put music out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
and are you feeling kind of any because of the success of these you, does it feel like there's a pressure now to deliver yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the next one's got to be really good <laughs> oh please let it be good i was so nervous before raise me up came out yeah it's fantastic so obviously danny crivet pinnacle floor plan uh, david penn yeah and reva star i mean yeah. who <laughs> heavyweights right? yeah yeah Is, are there any others on the on the on the kind of list of oh my heroes God. that you'd want to yeah. just blow you away i don't would, i don't want to say because <laughs> i don't want to jinx it and um, for Raise Me Up, I think it was, that was definite. I mean, Alan, it was only Alan so far who's who's done a mix of it and it's so good. In fact, he's done two mixes of it, um, Alan Dixon. And who he had his brilliant Bless Me track out um, earlier on this year, which I've played and played and played and played. So I was really yeah. thrilled to have him remix it. Yeah. And he's massively up and coming because he's been doing all sorts of stuff on Gerd Jansen's uh, label, uh, Running Back. Yeah, I mean... The next one, I've been working with um, a singer called Amy Douglas from New York, okay. um, who is incredible. She's been working with the Horsemeat guys mm. um, a lot. Uh, so she features on their album. And I have I met her um, earlier on this year as well when she came to London and sang at Horsemeat Disco, did a live PA there. Um, but her, she's, she's really incredible. So she's actually written the vocal top line for the next one. So yeah, fingers crossed people are like that. I think they will. I love it. I love it. It's it's quite it's similar but different if you see what I mean. Okay. We look forward to hearing it. I well I can play it to you after this oh, interview. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um cool. And so, do you feel like um there's going to be a live element performance if you if you do enough tracks and get like a back catalogue of success in that like producing your own things would you feel like you're you'd able to take it on the road i would love to but it's you know the dames um have just signed an album deal mm-hmm. with defected so yeah. i think they're probably going to be doing a lot of stuff there with them uh, to be honest i don't know i think it would have to be with a you know it's it that would cost a lot for yeah. a label <laughs> so i don't know i think it would just purely be like if you know when a track goes massive yeah then they kind of can afford to fly people over for yeah. Yeah. a live pa unfortunately yeah. my singing is relegated as a shower so <laughs> yeah there wouldn't be any live stuff from me that's for sure but um <laughs> But yeah, it's re- it's a real privilege to work with such amazing singers, and the yeah. dames are just incredible. I mean, yeah. they're such a talent. They've been singing all their lives. They're obviously they are pure gospel. Yeah. You know, that's where they learn how to sing in church. And um, when I first met them, and they came over from Leeds, they uh, sorry, they came over from Leeds. They performed in Leeds at the church mm. uh, nightclub. Um, and that was the first time they performed Calling Out. So wow. I went up there and met them and they performed it. And I was just completely like jaw dropping. Yeah. Wow, that was incredible. In that environment as in well. In that environment. That, yeah. it was, And they actually did the, the video for Calling Out. Some of it was filmed in the church as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. And it's something that I'm pretty sure will never happen again it's just you know that's the kind of thing that you just dream of all your life like to, to see something like that some you know people performing your music and being able to be in that environment and yeah. seeing people's reactions to it yeah for the first time that they'd heard it as well so it was yeah awesome. it was an amazing thing and they're such lovely women and they um on the car journey back from leeds to london and they were jet lagged as well but the driver's Tony Rosano, who drove us. He's he's also known as the chauffeur. He's also a DJ. Yeah. And also does edits. And he is a big, big gospel head. So he was putting on all these gospel records. And the dames were singing along to the gospel records in the car on the way back. And it was just the most incredible car journey. Yeah. <laughs> As you can imagine. I was like, oh my God, I want to record all of this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, apart from mini clubs in cars and, you know, seeing people perform in churches, obviously you've played in clubs and festivals and done all kinds of different things. Uh, what what kind of environment for you do you prefer to kind of play? Is it small intimate spaces or massive stages? No, I hate massive outdoors? stages. Oh, give me the willies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how anyone does it. 
yeah i mean yeah i've i've done a few massive stages warming up for people yeah i did it at fest uh defective festival in croatia a couple mm. of years ago uh, it made me feel sick with nerves before luckily there weren't that many people on when i first started and then it was really busy by the end of it but i was just like uh, like a rabbit in the headlights no i prefer being in like a very much an, an intimate kind of stage platform yeah and not on a platform rather i don't like having lights on me because it's about the music it's not about me yeah. and i find actually that um that's my main bugbear about the scene at the moment is with you know mobile phones and all that kind of thing it's, it, it feels like djing is much more of a performance than it used to be yeah and you know like you know when you see djs and they're like on the mixer like touching the buttons like it's hot and it's just like what is that all about i'm sorry but like are you actually doing anything i mean you know um i really don't like the i don't like being in a spotlight yeah i like i like seeing people dance but i like being kind of on the same level yeah as everyone and people just living in the moment i suppose Mm, like smiling absolutely yeah and You've curated a stage at Festival Number Six. Oh yeah, that was quite a few years ago now. Yeah, um, that was um, when they first started. I think it was. I can't remember if it was. Yeah, I think it must have been the first year. How did you approach that in terms of gathering talent and um, just? It was all mates. Or was it? <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> DJ mates. So it's just like you know, disco DJs who I knew and was like, why don't you come up and play at this? festival in wales it's a really cool stage and i'm gonna get so and so and such and such and they're all gonna play as well yeah and look i've managed to get us a camper van or like a what they called mobile home yeah so we can all have a laugh and don't worry i'll get us loads of booze and we can have a party so it's that kind of like (laughs) i know it's not very much money but will you do it and it was a great stage it was like um on the seafront it's port mary yeah yeah what an incredible view. It was yeah. amazing. And actually one year, I can't remember who was playing at the time, and the sun came out on the opposite because it's in a it's in a kind of an inlet. And that so you could see the you could see the land the other side of um the sun came through and there was a rainbow and it went across. It was amazing. Like, is that one of those moments where it's like, is this actually yeah, happening? Exactly. And everyone was just like, Whoa man <laughs> <laughs> Who spiked yeah. who spiked my drink? Um yeah. And, okay, so, you know, you've been doing this for a while and, you know, you've already said that you were rummaging for disco records and that seems to have been the sound that has given you the most success and what you produce your own stuff. And um, Would you say that that's just purely your interest in terms of the sets that you want to play? Or do you, are there are moments where you're like, actually, I'd rather just play three hours on a beach bar and just chilled stuff I it's love like playing chilled out Balearic stuff yeah absolutely love it because you can just play for hours and hours and you don't you're not necessarily forced to make people dance yeah you know when it's just like I think a lot of certainly club DJing you've got to play pumpers yeah and you've got to keep that moment there's so many records that I have got in my collection where you know they just wouldn't work in a club or they're just a bit too bit too kind of what's headsy Yep. And, you know, there are certain certain times you just like you've got to you, there's a certain time and place for those kind of records. So it's really nice to be able to play chilled out Balearic sets. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely I've done quite a few kind of Balearic edits. And are there tracks that you've kind of like gathered or got on vinyl and you're like, actually, I want to do my own edit of this to play or you're just like, please, yeah. someone make a decent edit of it for me. Um, yeah, there's I've got there's quite a few I'm just trying to think what I've got in my list. There was something that I thought the other day, actually, and I was like, oh, I really want to edit that. It's just getting the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's the thing. At the moment, I'm trying to just do original stuff. Yeah. um, Purely because it's it's kind of... I see, A, with with disco edits, there's such a massive proliferation of edits. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, there's there's other people who are really good at it. Yeah amazing at it and it's just you know there's the late night tough guy and you know the the reflex and dimitri from paris and you know all those people who are very very clever at doing the dr packer yeah you know they're all so so clever yeah and you know that when you see that name any of those guys on any edit you know it's going to be a decent exactly leo zero is amazing as well yeah yeah his edits and 
Yeah, so so there's there's people who are they're they're the experts in that field, and it's just like nice, you know. But I think more of if I if I was going to do an edit, it would be kind of more of a Balearic-y yeah type vibe. I mean, what's your opinion on obviously edits and things like that? It's kind of like harking back to reviving kind of classics or making mm. things um, available to the dance floor for like a, a new generation. What what's your feeling on? Do you think that can go too far in terms of nostalgia or do you think it's good that these tracks are kind of getting a second life? Oh, no, I think it's great that the tracks are getting a second life. I think for the original artist, I don't know, I've got mixed feelings about it some in some ways. Like, I think you should credit the original artist yeah. in the edit. Yeah. And it's very difficult because obviously you can't sell an edit because it is, it's a bootleg. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, it's a real bugbear if it's... If there's no original artist credited on certain edits and you just think, well, it's a shame because you can't find the original track. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's been so many edits over the years. That I've gone, oh, right. OK. You know, the same same with the house stuff. Yeah. You know, when it was just, like, oh, right, that's that track that it came from. But I think it eventually turns, you know, kind of full circle, doesn't it? People yeah. find People find it if they're willing to find it. Yeah, there's certainly a few edits that I've got and come across and I'm like, I've no idea what the original of this track is and I'll be mm. like furiously Googling the lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> Trying exactly. to find out what the track is, the yeah. original. Yeah, Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so I suppose in terms of like the scene and where it is now, uh, you kind of touched on it with, you know, big stages and people, you know, maybe with mobile phones and things like that. Do you, what's your opinion kind of on the scene in general in terms of, people having fun i mean example i can think of is i went to the clockwork orange event um and some guys i was with they were like everyone in here is having so much fun i felt like one of the youngest people in there mm. um and, and w- no, no mobile phones no mobile phones yeah. and someone who is with me who goes still goes out to like the upfront nights now was saying that i would hate going out to like a young night he called it mm. because no one dances yeah. yeah i went to the faith party a few about two three months ago mm-hmm. and like you were saying with clockwork orange it's um there was no one with mobile phone and it was great it was really nice everyone was dancing everyone was it like properly feeling it and actually yesterday on instagram i noticed um lottie had posted a picture of her djing in yeah i did you see that that. yeah yeah yeah. exactly when was it like 95 or something yeah and it was just it was the joy on everyone's faces and the the fact that they were living within the moment and not worrying there's no there's um you know no one's no one's worried about a mobile phone being a you know throw in their face or yeah. I don't you know it was kind of probably a, a quick snapshot from someone on a on a camera rather than being a professional photographer yeah. and I think you know every single club night now has a photographer that comes yeah. with it yeah. and they just start taking photos of you and taking photos of the crowd and with with you know kind of current club nights it's it feels very much to me that you have to play pumpers for that glitter cannon moment yeah do you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's you've got to play right. What you've got to put on a track that so we can we're going to put the gliss cannon off now and uh, we you know we want you to play a track that's going to be good for that with a big breakdown and it's just like what happened to having a long set where you can build it and yeah. it's kind of goes up and down in peaks and troughs and yeah. it's you can't you feel it feels like with the big clubs the the big modern current clubs you can't necessarily do that and i think that's what people like dj harvey and you know they're so amazing at is just having those long sets with the peaks and the troughs and you've got to really think about it and you and and that's when the crowd sticks with you and yeah. i think you know, with the with the kind of current club scene, and this is probably my bugbear is is, is not very much. You know, it's it's mixing in and out very quickly. You know, it's there's, gone are the days of the ten minute kind of track. Yeah, I mean, there's there are remixes. You know, like Danny Crivet did the ten minute um, edit for me, which are amazing. But you know, it's not often that you can get you can play a track for its whole ten minutes for its entirety because you start to lose people. Yeah. And that's sad, I think, because 
a track that's why a track is made yeah. it should be able to take you on a journey and it's yeah. you shouldn't just have to play the the kind of peak bits and when you know with mobile phone culture it's just it's very much about getting the validation of being in the club rather than being in the moment yeah i think the the further it seems to kind of go there seems to be kind of a a general kind of pushback now and like more of kind of like not necessarily an underground it's probably the wrong word there's a huge kind of commercial beast that Mm. is kind of house music and the big stages and festivals and everyone's Mm. looking for that validation and now there seems to be more kind of things like you mentioned Harvey and things like what Pikes Hotel are doing in Mm. Ibiza like smaller more intimate parties that are kind of more curated and more headsy kind of almost like you mentioned and the opportunity for people to play a 10 minute track and and hold a crowd Mm. and hopefully that can kind of develop its own scene yeah Yeah. longer sets and so you can play longer tracks it's like if you if you're booked to play at an hour in a nightclub for a guest slot like what's the point how many tracks tracks. is that yeah it's like what's the point because you don't get any idea of how a DJ is either that or they've got to play kind of three minute versions of those tracks and mix in and out and it's just got to be pumpers you've got to play pumpers for an hour if you're going to do that because otherwise you know in in the general scheme of things like an hour is to set the scene really and you can't you can't do it in an hour you've just got to play pumpers if you're booked for an hour (laughs) (laughs) i don't like doing that i like playing long sets (laughs) yeah so what's your ideal set length then if someone was to uh about like, for for kind of housey disco set, what, what three hours? Three hours, yeah. Yeah, two three yeah. hours. Yeah, it's nice. You can just get into it. You can just. I think I ended up playing longer than that. I did. Um, I played at Glitterbox in August, and I think my set there was two and a half or three hours. But it ended up being about four four and a half hours. Desperate for a wee. <laughs> <laughs> it was um it, it, it ironically i was djing in the toilets at space uh sorry at high yeah always call it space obviously yeah um still but I, it was so busy in the room that i was djing at and i was trying to get the like the bouncer who was kind of stood nearish me and he was trying to kind of herd people around and i was like i need a wee <laughs> I couldn't, and I couldn't get there in time to like him to find a, a an empty cubicle that I could dash into and out of within the space of a record. Because by the time he'd found an empty cubicle, I was like, "Well, look, I've got still like probably got about like three minutes left on this record. It's not going to be enough." Yeah, yeah. And how <laughs> terrifying! You're in the cubicle and you can hear the record yeah, running out. Exactly. I was yeah. like, no. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like crossing my legs for the last <laughs> hour of playing there. It's like, oh, yeah. But I think a lot like longer sets, I think, are much better for... Yeah. I, I would rather go and see someone, if they're playing for an hour, like you said, they're just going to turn up and just mm. smash it out. And yeah. that's sometimes good. And you hear probably the, the big tracks that you mm. want to hear, but yeah. all kind of mashed together. Yeah. Um, like a longer set is, yeah, it just lets it breathe. And you feel like the DJ is kind of telling you something or mm. taking you somewhere. Uh, I think yeah. that's much, much better. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how Danny Sinaglia does it. Like he does what, eight <laughs> hour sets? I can remember seeing him at, at Homelands yeah. doing six or eight hour sets. Yeah, I, I think he had his own tent at Homelands. Yeah. yeah. I think I was at that one. Yeah, that yeah. was amazing. I can remember just being like, oh, I can't wait to see him. Yeah, and, uh, what yeah. a guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how does he do a wee? Oh, no, yeah. Has he got like... a bottle behind him? <laughs> That's what I always want to know. Does he wee into a bottle? You must have. Well, you know, he's playing tracks that are 10 minutes long, I would think, like some yeah. kind of tribal proggy bangers. Um, okay, cool. So I kind of literally just hit the hour mark. Um, so we kind of wrap this up. Yes, so we always get our guests to choose five tracks for our Spotify playlist. We do a perfect playlist. And in that playlist, there's every single track that each one of our guests has chosen. So someone who listens to this podcast or is a fan Mm. of house culture can just whack that playlist on, put it on random and, Mm. you know, get a whole breadth of genres and stuff. So we always ask for... Oh, yeah. Oh, the ones that... Yeah, that so we okay. always ask first off a catalyst <laughs> that got you into dance music. Yeah. Um, you've chosen two. Yeah. I did check yesterday. One of those isn't on Spotify, shamefully. No. Is, yeah, Some Justice, Urban Shakedown. Shut is up. not on Spotify, I know. That's really mad. Urban Shakedown, Some Justice, that was the one that was just like, that totally got me into it. Maybe it was because of the sample that it's not on Spotify. Probably, or... yeah, yeah. 
but um, you have got the backup. Yeah, Liquid so, Sweet Harmony. Yeah. Again, it's just like one of those that classics of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And was that something you heard on the radio or heard at an event yeah. you went to? Or? I can remember going into um, a record shop because my parents lived in uh, in a place called Crawley Down, and Crawley had the nearest record shop. And I can remember being about fourteen years old and walking into this record shop in Crawley and seeing Liquid Sweet Harmony on vinyl in there and being too scared to go up to the counter <laughs> to buy it because I was so intimidated by it so I never bought it um I think I bought it I bought it years later yeah, yeah. quite a few years later but I can remember at the time when it first came out I was desperate to have it it's funny you remember like remember something like that I've yeah, yeah do you remember going to record shops and seeing records up there that I wanted and yeah. being too scared to go to the counter yeah. to ask for them because yeah. it was so like everyone was really cool in there and I was just this one like geeky kid who just like what are you doing in here kind of thing all right i'll leave <laughs> hi uh cool and uh so second track uh is a flo- we always ask for a floor filler yeah what have you chosen um i have chosen first choice i can show you better than i can tell you the funk d edit yeah which literally every time you put on in a club everyone goes absolutely bananas it's proper bouncy it's, it's really bouncy yeah yeah it's great it's i mean it's, funk d is such a good yeah edit yeah. remixer yeah he's very very clever yeah um and obviously first choice amazing and the difference between that and the original is mm. like yeah the original is good but it just elevates it really pumps it up mm. it's got puts in those like offbeat claps yeah, yeah it's really really jumpy mm. um and so uh, what's a sunsetter i think is yeah next. um sunset the sunsetter um vasco rossi uh splendida jonata oh yeah I, that when you emailed that over and yeah. that popped up i love that track yeah <laughs> yeah it's exactly. so like so valeric and so lovely. valeric yeah. lush 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 and yeah strings like saxophone yeah. i know valeric sax yeah see a lot of people have got like a phobia to sax because of like bad sax playing in fact um, melvo posted a funny tweet the other day from melvo from glitterbox mm. and saying uh about Balearic sax and how, or not, sorry, not about Balearic sax, but about saxophone players in house clubs. Yeah. And how it was just, there was, it was overkill. Yeah. And I, yeah, I agree with him there, but I like Balearic sax. Yeah. And so a tearjerker um, yeah. can be non house music. Yeah, exactly. Non house music. George Michael, um, praying for time, mm. because um, George Michael. Oh, like it was a huge Wham fan, huge George Michael fan, um, and yeah, was kind of brought up on Wham, and listened to you know, listen without prejudice, which is the most incredible album, I think one of the most incredible albums ever. Um, you know, certainly just, I mean, he was just so good at writing pop music, yeah, so yeah. clever, like it, you know, proper poetry and. You know how to how to create melodies and yeah, what a clever man. Yeah, and that voice. I know. Obviously, I knew he was good, and when he was alive, he kind of taken for granted in that way. Mm. Me and my wife were watching that. Um, oh, the documentary about him. Yeah, and yeah. there were just bits where he's popping up and just singing on stage, and you're like, yeah. this yeah. guy, yeah, such a loss. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite Wham song? <laughs> um, well, either everything she wants, which obviously. But I actually also, um, oh my God, this is why, when a microphone's in front of you and you forget, bear with me, uh, Wham Rap as well. Enjoy what you do, enjoy what you do. <laughs> that one. Yeah. I played that last year at um, Bugged Out New Year's Day in the Old Queen's Head. Yeah. And everyone was singing along to it. It's really funny, I might play it again this year actually. <laughs> awesome, awesome. <laughs> Um, cool. Uh, and what was the this uh, the last oh, one? Oh, the is, last tune. Yeah, is... the last tune. Someone's uh, the crowd yeah. are wanting one more. What do you? Yeah, play? I mean that was a difficult one because it always changes depending on um, you know where you are. Yeah. And what kind of mood it is. Um, so it could be a really long edit of something, or it could be something that's a, a current kind of pumper, or you know, uh, an old classic. Yeah. Um, this one, I just kind of thought, uh, Vanita White, praise him, the Terence Parker remix. Um, 
which I think came out about a year and a half ago. Um, and I've been playing it as my kind of last track for, you know, so many sets this year. Just love it. I mean, do you feel like sometimes there's an expectation in if you've been playing it for so long as your last track that you've got to play it or no no No. not at all it's just just purely because I just have that always just has it's a really good one to end on um and everyone sings along to it but no it's not I don't play that every single last tune (laughs) that would be really boring um yeah there's also another one that I really love um which is uh an edit that a friend of mine did uh uh, of Paul McCartney and Wings uh, Silly Love Songs oh right yeah okay. which is a good end of nighter yeah. one yeah. that's yeah. really but that's kind of more kind of wedding-y yeah or like pub disco rather yeah. than a nightclub but that's a nice one to play oh there's so many there's so many you know a Frankie Knuckles track or whatever it's yeah. just it just depends on like the environment totally what the night environment. you've had yeah yeah, yeah exactly. what you've heard before and um, our final question, I suppose, is always um, we are house culture. You are part of house culture, being a DJ, pushing the happiest sounds of house music. Um, what what does um, what does the whole culture and scene kind of mean to you and what what has it brought to your to your life? And what part do you see yourself playing in, in it in the future? I, it, it feels like it's it's consumed all of my kind of from teenage years onwards it's like being in a uh, it's kind of like a family kind of group I guess isn't it really um yeah I for for kids nowadays to try and it's I guess it's a movement isn't it just like anything um and yeah I just feel very grateful to be part of having been part of that movement and you know it's it's the Jeremy Geller um kind of documentary Mm -hmm. which very much summed it up which is it's all it is like a political movement you know it's you know as he explained it stopped football hooliganism in its tracks in you know back in 1988 with ecstasy etc um and it's you know it's like the 60s when the flower power movement and the hippie movement it's just it's it's a generation we we grew up with house music rave music you know rave culture and yeah, I feel very, very lucky because, I mean, now if you're a teenager, it's, I just, I find it, it's a bit, everything's a bit staged. Yeah. It's a bit, it's, you know, nothing, we were very lucky, I think, that we grew up in a time where we had that kind of culture of kind of digging for music um, and finding out about, you know, whether whether it was like fashion or music or, I guess, street culture in, in general. You know, things like the Face magazine, Sky magazine, Dazed and Confused and all those kind of things. We were very lucky that we could kind of find it. Now, everything is so easily accessible on the Internet. There's not so much niche things. I yeah. think it's it's very it's very difficult. This it's just this. There's almost too much now. There's too much choice. But underground, I think we grew up with underground culture. I think that's yeah. what it is, isn't it? Underground yeah. and rave culture. Yeah. So, yeah. So moving forward, I think I, I think... I think kids will, I think there's going to be a re-emergence of that, definitely. I think people are going to stop. I think we've we've come to a, a kind of a tipping point yeah. now with the internet and with social media. And I think it's, I think people will start turning their phones off, I hope. And, you know, kind of going back to the kind of grassroots of it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I hope so. Well, I think that's a good place to kind yeah. of... Sum it up. Thank you so much. Sorry, I waffled. So no, no, much. no. Don't, don't. House culture. Thanks for that one, Sophie, and for inviting us into your East London home to record that interview. Make a mean cheese scone, by the way. Wasn't it great to hear about that mid to late 90s Brighton scene and the fact that she used to climb into Fatboy Slim's Big Beat Boutique through the window? We're really connecting the dance music dots with these episodes in season two, aren't we? As ever, you can find all of the tracks that we discussed on our playlist on Spotify. Just search for House Culture Perfect Playlist and there you will not only find Sophie's choices, but a whole smorgasbord of sounds that cover every aspect of dance music, including Sophie's original catalyst choice, Some Justice by Urban Shakedown, which has recently been added to Spotify. I think it's great that we've now got some proper early 90s breakbeat hardcore business on that playlist. 
I've also thrown in the epic 10-minute Danny Crivet re-edit of Sophie's Calling Out track, which is an incredible house music journey propelled by perfect pianos and glittering gospel. Once you've signed up to that, please help support the House Culture Podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing and rating or reviewing us on Apple. The last bit is really important, actually does make a difference, so if you say something really nice, I might give you a shout out on the next episode. Which gives me the pleasure of saying hello to Woolmonger, who commented on Apple saying that they have binged every episode and have been schooled in the history of house music in the UK. Thanks for that, Woolmonger. Class is very nearly dismissed. However, if the rest of you want to get those grades, don't forget to hit up our Instagram feed at HouseCultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Not only will you be fully informed about the podcast, you'll also be able to share the love for the scene with other partygoers from around the world. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can contact me directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and see you next time. House Culture. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.